There's a project called Kepler that's being used to measure energy use, essentially, of software. And they're using eBPF to instrument CPU time and memory cache retrievals. Welcome to the Open at Intel podcast, where we're all about open source, from software to security to innovation and beyond. I'm your host, Katherine Druckmann, an open source evangelist at Intel, bringing you leading edge, free ranging conversations from some of the best minds in the open source community. Let's get into it. While at KubeCon, I spoke with Liz Rice of Isovalent, the company behind the Cilium project. Liz shares her journey into open source and her experience with Cilium, popularly known as a networking plugin for Kubernetes and built on eBPF technology. eBPF has generated a lot of buzz recently, pun intended, so stick around and learn more. Thank you, Liz, very much for taking time out of your very busy schedule. My pleasure. Um, I know KubeCon, this is my first KubeCon. Oh, wow. Okay. Um, and yeah, it, it, it's a lot. It's a massive conference with a lot going on. So I appreciate, again, carving out the time. So tell us a little bit, tell us who you are for those, for those who don't know yet. I'm sure <laughs> most of our audience has heard, has at least seen your name somewhere, but, but tell us who you are and, and what you do and what you do in the community. Yeah, sure. So my name's Liz Rice. I work at a company called Isovalent, which originally created the Cilium Project. Cilium recently graduated in the CNCF, so that you know that's been a, a big event for us here, and and you know we're very much embedded in this kind of cloud native community. Uh, I'm on the governing board of the CNCF. I represent the Silver members, and in the past I was chair of the technical oversight committee for the CNCF. So I've had quite a long. Long and checkered history with the uh, with the CNCF. <laughs> Fantastic! <laughs> it's, all been, it's all been fun. It's all been good. <laughs> that's that's great. Um, so tell okay. So first, want to give us a, a, the Cliff's Notes version of what Cilium is? Yeah. So Cilium is best known in particularly in this world as a networking plugin for Kubernetes. You can use it outside of a Kubernetes environment as well. But here at KubeCon, you know. I think everybody is going to use it with Kubernetes. Uh, And it's built on a technology called eBPF, uh, which is a really cool way of being able to customize the way your kernel behaves. And yes, Cilium is being used for networking. It also provides you observability of that networking. And it also provides lots of security capabilities as well in networking. And now with a sub-project of Cilium called Tetragon, we can also provide runtime security observability and runtime enforcement. So pretty broad scope of things that we can do with Cilium thanks to the power of eBPF. <laughs> ah, okay, great. So, so eBPF is the next thing. I, I, so again, for the for the uninitiated, um, eBPF. So it used to. It's one of those things that no longer really is an acronym, but it used to be. It used to be Berkeley Packet Filter yeah. evolved into eBPF. Can you tell us a little bit about its origins and why it's so interesting? Yeah. Well, first of all, if people are really interested in its origins, we've yesterday seen the premiere of the eBPF documentary. So definitely plug the eBPFdocumentary.com. It's. I'm so impressed with this film and it really goes back to the origin story when Alexei from who's now at Meta uh, was kind of coming up with the idea when he was working at Plumgrid and uh, he worked with 
Daniel Borkman, who's at Isovolent with me, on this concept of running essentially a virtual machine inside the kernel. And I think the documentary does a really great job of kind of conveying how that was a bit of a mad idea at the time. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and uh, how they had to convince the kernel community to that it would be an okay thing to do, that it was a safe and, and good idea. And um, and then how people like Brendan Gregg, who's now at Intel, yes. you know, really sort of took that idea and, and popularized it and developed loads of really cool tracing tools with it. So, um, yeah, over the last, you know, it's, it's, it's been years really in the development and now eBPF is this, uh, let's say, platform, technology platform in which we can build these incredibly powerful observability, tracing, security, security. networking, all of these different infrastructure tools that everybody needs in their cloud native environment common to all their applications. So yeah. it's, it's a really, really cool technology. Yeah, it is kind of mind-blowing. Um, I, I think, so I actually, I, I attended a bunch of the sessions. So um, the EBPF Foundation has an annual online event. Yeah, the EBPF Summit. The so, EBPF Summit. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah, tell, tell us a little bit about that, because I know you're, you're always heavily involved in that as well. Yeah, it's, it's really a community event that we, it, I mean, it started during the pandemic times. So, you know, it, it was, it's always been an online mm -hmm. thing. And I think it's actually really uh, successful from that point of view because EBPF, you know, it's it's kernel, it's kernel technology. It's quite yeah. low level, and uh, it, it has, you know, the experts are from all around the world, and actually, kind of bringing them together physically, I think, would be pretty hard to do. Yeah. But we can get everybody really together online. Um, it, it always feels like a really sort of buzzy thing. We have people in Slack, kind of commenting on. Commenting on all of the talks, we, we you know we we go out and ask people to submit talks when we know that they're working on something interesting in the EBPF space. So it's been a really good way of getting. I mean, a lot of these people have been friends for years, you know, mm -hmm. from all around the world, and they're they're coming and talking about the the exciting things they're building with EBPF or how they're extending EBPF. Uh, yeah, I, I think because it's such a kind of novel way of doing things it, 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 I, the idea that you're going to run programs inside the kernel yeah, I think is pretty like surprising to, to people and the, the things that you can do with it are so varied so we get you know it's a really pretty technical yeah very event, technical but, <laughs> but uh, you know for, for those of us who are involved in it there's always like lots of things to learn and, and lots of new, new and surprising things that people are doing with it. Yeah, I, I watched a bunch of the sessions last year. Yeah. I, very deeply technical, sometimes a bit intimidatingly so, uh, because again, it, it is kind of a mind-blowing concept. Yeah. You know, yeah. if you've been kind of like an old school uh, Linux-y type person to suddenly be like, what do you, what do you mean run a VM in, in, in the kernel? I don't, what does that <laughs> mean exactly? You know, what sort of, you know, information are we able to grab and analyze? Well, this is fascinating. And, oh, you could use it for all these different things. I wonder, again, from your perspective, you have a view into the projects like Cilium and EPPF and, and the landscape. I wonder if you're seeing anything that maybe is unexpected, that, that is so such a creative implementation of this type of technology that it surprised yeah. you? I think one thing that I saw that I was really, 
I, I, I guess, yeah, that, that did surprise me. And I was like, oh, oh, yeah, that's a good idea. There's a project called Kepler that's being used to measure energy use, essentially, in, of software. And they're using eBPF to instrument CPU time and memory cache retrievals. And it hadn't really occurred. To, it, it, it was obvious to me that you would be burning energy by uh, you know CPU time, the, the, the correlation between your CPU cycles and energy use intuitively made sense to me. But it hadn't really occurred to me that, oh yeah, if you're gonna actually retrieve some memory, that's gonna cost energy. Mm. And then there's no using free lunch. EBPF to, to, to measure that. And I found that like, oh yeah, that's like a penny that's dropping cool. moment. So yeah. And, and also very cool in terms of providing tools for people to try and sure. measure their energy use with the intent of hopefully reducing it and that you know that's it's an important thing yeah those are and and things that are um let's say uh, there's a heightened awareness of today and rightly so i wondered also if you could tell us a little bit about your community work i know again you're involved in the ebpf foundation and and like you say the cncf hmm. Tell me about why that's so important to you, especially in your role in a company like Isovalent. Yeah, and, and I'll also shout out to a, another organization I'm involved in called Open UK, where oh. we're really pushing for uh, yes, you know, use know, yeah. of open technologies, not just software, um, you know, kind of in public life. So I think I was quite a late convert to the, to the world of open source. And... Uh, you know, I really got involved in open source around the same time as containers were becoming oh, okay. a thing. You know, so it's been quite a few years now. But you know, my first years of my career was very much proprietary software. Uh, uh-huh. And then when I started getting involved in the container community and uh, sort of seeing the caliber of things that people were building together and the way that people were, you know, collaborating. And sort of setting company politics aside, you know, to come together and solve technical problems. I know, obviously, there are. Yeah, there is a, there's often, an agenda, sure. There sure. often is, but quite often, you know, there are engineers in a room talking about technology, you know, in such a kind of interesting and collaborative way. And, um, and I love, you know, events like this. You know, we're here at KubeCon. People are here from literally all around the world. I'm in this really lucky position where, you know, I... I've met a lot of these people over the years and it's kind of, it's like seeing old friends and it, it's really, it's really lovely, you know, it's, and it's, uh, yeah, it, it, that kind of, it, it I, I genuinely believe that open source is the best way to develop common technology. Sure, absolutely. Uh, you know, I think the quality of what you end up building is the, that whole thing of, uh, you know, sunlight being the best disinfectant you know it's it <laughs> yes. really you know opening stuff up to for everyone to see right. exactly Scrutiny how it works and collaboration yeah so. yeah i think i think that really does you know provide better solutions and it also just makes sense in terms of if everybody needs you know let's say everybody needs a, a networking solution to con- connect their workloads well people don't need to go and write their own you know and they don't right. necessarily need to go and you know, it's not the thing that their business, you know, they have other things to differentiate their business that they should be spending their time on. It just makes more sense. It's, it's more efficient for everybody to have some common solutions that we can all use. Yeah, absolutely. So, yeah. You know, it's funny. I actually, I, I'm the opposite. I don't really have any experience in the proprietary software world. Right. I came into software from a 
non-technical background many, many years ago. But then I came into software straight into open source. And yeah. it's all I know. So it's kind of funny to kind of uh, have that different perspective. And, and here, people get excited who, who, you know, have been involved in technology that was not open. And, and so that's, that's very cool. I wondered, you know, tell me a little bit about more, more about Open UK. I think that's quite interesting. And maybe the people listening might not know quite that much about it. Yeah, and it's it was really, I, I'm, I'm going to say, initiated by Amanda Brock, who is ah, yes, a force of nature, and she's really brought together some really incredible people, either from the UK or who are based in the UK, and kind of, it's enabling us to see opportunities for open source software. It's enabling us to communicate, particularly to kind of government bodies and, mm-hmm. and, you know, sort of lobby for open data, use of open technology. Some of the, um, you know, things like AI right now, there are mm-hmm. some really interesting debates to be had that are not just about engineering, but are about the use of that technology and, you know, the extent to which they should be open. And it feels like a really important thing for people from that kind of technical background to be involved in those conversations. So, uh, yeah, it's it's... It's really fascinating to sort of think about how we can, again, as a community coming together from different organizations and different companies, do good or attempt to do good by getting governments to be more open and use more open technologies and, and try and convey the benefits of that. Yeah, I like that. Yeah. Tra- transparency all the way up, right? Exactly. Kind yeah. of top to bottom would be the ideal. So what else are you excited about in the open source world? You did mention AI, and I feel like everybody has an opinion and something to say about AI. So if you if you have one, please feel free. I, I, it feels like AI, you know, you, you can't have a conversation without yes, somebody bringing exactly. up AI. I mean, I definitely, it, it, you know, it's it's fascinating. It's, uh, it's way outside of my kind of area of expertise. I think there's going to be a lot of really... Um, really cool things that are going to be done with it and there are also going to be a whole load of things that look like you know at the the surface level look like they're successful but actually even if you dig underneath they're not so not so great I mean I'm always like optimistic about you know the way that humanity will find ways to solve problems and I think AI will be used in some really good and positive ways and and I think we all have to be a little bit conscious of the possibilities for it being used for less. Yes, absolutely. Things. Yeah, and and you know, keep, our, keep our eyes open. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. I'm, re- I'm really curious to see. You know, especially again, you're you're involved in things like security observability. I think plugging in, not people like to talk about generative AI, but there, you know, other types of AI. Absolutely. Um, yeah. 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 So might things fl- like play a role. Yeah, so I, 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 I'm going to guess where you were going there is things like using AI to detect malicious yes, attacks. Exactly. And, yeah, exactly. Much like we would use AI uh, in a medical context to detect things or yes, you know that kind yes. of thing. I, I kind of I see an analogy there. Um, yeah. So what, what else are you excited about in the open source world? I I, I keep saying this, and I, I'm pretty sure the people listening maybe. Uh, quite familiar with my refrain, but <laughs> open source people are the best people. Uh, there are so many 
interesting people that are attracted to various open source communities and yeah. come in and contribute all of these different perspectives. And so there's always something really kind of groundbreaking or very interesting uh, going on in the open source world. And I just wondered if there's something exciting to you kind of outside of your work life. Oh. <laughs> that you wish you had more time to dive into. There's, there's always so many things that I wish I had time to, to dive into. And even things that are really pretty adjacent to what I'm doing. You know, mm -hmm. I always think, oh, I'd love to know more about... Like, one day I will figure out more about how file systems work. You know, I mean, other people know this stuff. But, <laughs> you know, I, the little bit I've read, it's like, oh, it's incredible that you can ever actually successfully read or write from a file because there are so <laughs> many things that can possibly go wrong between, yes. you know, the... the bits being stored physically in the yeah. disc or whatever it's being stored on so I always think yeah there's loads of you know I mean that's just like one example of something where I'm like oh I'd love to have the time to really get into that and really yeah. understand it I, there are loads of things like that where I, yeah I'd, yeah there's yeah. a <laughs> quote um I, I I I think I usually get wrong the the, the origin of the quote but um, something any sufficiently advanced technology is equivalent to magic. Yes, yes. Because it's, yeah, if you're if you're not in it, that's how I feel about uh, a lot of sort of AI and machine learning type technologies. I'm not in it mm. every day, so to me, it's just, it's effectively magic. Mm. You know. Yeah, yeah, and and it does seem like magic. I mean, it seems incredible how quickly that's advanced from mm -hmm. you know uh, to the point where you do feel like you have a human. You know, it's a very human-like uh, interaction that you can have with those yeah. LLM tools. Human-like hallucinations. Yeah, well, <laughs> exactly. I, I, actually, one kind of interesting little anecdote. So I've been involved in this, uh, some new uh, CNCF certifications for... There's, there's going to be one for Cilium that we oh, okay. announced this week. And the platform that we're using to create the exam questions, uh, one of the options you can do in this platform is essentially say I want to ask a question around this particular area and it has lots of disclaimers to say like you know please check this question and answers to make sure they're correct because yeah. AI won't necessarily get it right and it will generate you a, a question it, they're all multiple choice questions and answers and it will generate you some pretty good questions and answers that may need a bit of editing and may need a bit of fact checking but it's it's pretty surprisingly convincing. so, yeah. But then I was, you know, experimenting around with this a little bit, and yeah, I got a question where it was convincing, but I, I knew that one of the answers was was incorrect, and I was kind of like, oh, this is really, this is really bad. Loads of people are going to use this, and they're not going to check the answer properly, and then we're going to have all these incorrect exam questions. And I was chatting with somebody about this and they said, but that will happen with humans as well, like a human writing the question. And actually the mistake that the AI had made was a very human-like mm -hmm. mistake. It was kind of, it was like they'd only read half of the web page and not the other half right? of the web page. Sure. Absolutely a human could have made that mistake. And I kind of thought, oh, yeah, no, that's a great point. Maybe, you know, the the... AI overlords will make mistakes, but they won't necessarily all be that much worse than the human overlords. <laughs> right, yeah, that's a good point. Um, yeah, that seems likely. <laughs> yeah, I, uh, yeah, a, a well-trained uh, human-like entity is, it must, it must therefore have many flaws. <laughs> yeah, 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 I guess that's yeah. true. The closer to human you get, the more flawed perhaps you become. Yeah. <laughs> um, so yeah, so tell me, tell me also, like, what, what what's on the horizon with um, with Cilium in particular? 
I mean, we've just gone through graduation, so it mm-hmm. feels like we've achieved this real sort of milestone of, you know, adoption and, um, uh, I guess, being proven, you know. Uh, but there's loads of new applications. There's loads of, uh, for example, you know, a lot of people are using it for mm-hmm. Kubernetes workloads, but increasingly people are connecting to external workloads and they're connecting across multiple clouds and they're, you know, so we have some really good cluster mesh solutions. We have what we're now calling Cilium Mesh, where you can, you know, maybe you've got ingress from certain workloads and you've got egress to other workloads and maybe you're connecting over BGP and or telco use cases where they have some very specific protocols that they want to work with or there's there's look I think the world of networking is one of those things where you you know you can start off thinking oh yeah you you just plug everything in and it's you know networks happen right and then it turns out actually there's loads of detail loads of different protocols being used lots of different requirements in different environments you know people start off with a common requirement (laughs) and then it just more and more edge cases come out of the uh, out of the woodwork if you like so uh, I think we'll see Cilium being used in a broader range of places and then Tetragon which is the security sub-project just went 1.0 so you know again it's a big milestone but really seeing that get adopted, you know, it's relatively early days for that sub-project in, in adoption. And I really want to see how it gets used and the kind of security profiles that people will build for it and with it. And, the, you know, at some point there will be some major CVE that comes out and, and people will detect it with Tetragon. And that will be a really exciting story to hear about. Yeah, that will. I, I want to make sure... If there's anything you wanted to mention, I wanted to make sure that we have time for it. We've plugged the movie. And yeah, I, I want to make sure everybody gets out there and see, you know sees the movie. Where can people see the movie? They can see it on it's on YouTube, but I would say the best way to find it is ebpfdocumentary.com, and then Excellent. Okay. Uh, yeah, yeah, or just Google for ebpf documentary and, and yeah, there yeah. we go. Yeah, I'll check that out. I'm checking it out when I get home. It is a very worthwhile use of half an hour. <laughs> <laughs> very cool. So, yeah, um, is there anything else that you wanted to make sure to mention? I think we pretty much covered everything. I mean, Fantastic. yeah, it's, uh, it's been a whirlwind week with a lot of very cool, uh, you know, right. a lot of cool things happening. But, uh, yeah. yeah. I think we're all going to go home and take a little time to process and absorb and let it settle in our brains. A little then, time to sleep. <laughs> yeah, maybe maybe sleep. That's a great idea. Yeah, I remember sleeping. That was yeah, a thing. what was that? Okay, well, thank you so much for... for for sharing all of this and and for for all the work that you do in the community that helps kind of keep the keep the keep the gears moving. <laughs> all right. Well, my pleasure. Thanks for having me. Thank yeah. you. Yeah. You've been listening to Open at Intel. Be sure to check out more from the Open at Intel podcast at open.intel.com/podcast and at Open at Intel on Twitter. We hope you join us again next time to geek out about open source.